the Christian and the non-Christian alike are going to suffer. And if you live long enough, you will suffer. And there's, I'm sure, not a person in this room who has not suffered, whether it's an infant from an ear infection or an elderly person suffering even as they sit there from their arthritis. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Chapter 8 of the Book of Romans. Doctrinally, this is one of the richest sections of Scripture. It is filled with testimony to the blessings enjoyed by Christians, the blessing that those who are in Christ are free from the bondage of sin. It also outlines the blessing of the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us overcome. Most recently, we saw the blessing of adoption as we become children of God. And today, we turn from blessing to the also very real existence of suffering as a Christian. As we join Pastor Brogy, he notes that the Christian life is not all blessings. Otherwise, everyone would be a Christian. But as believers, we experience some challenges that are unique to our position in Christ. Today, I want to speak on the subject of suffering as a Christian. I thought maybe I would entitle this sermon, The Agony and the Ecstasy or the Groan and the Glory, because indeed you find both in this text, both suffering and glory. Paul compares our current suffering with the future glory that is yet to be revealed. Now, many Christians don't like to think about trials and heartache and suffering. And many have been sold a bill of goods in our day that if you have enough faith, you can avoid such things. But that is not true. That's not what God's Word teaches. Now, if you remember last time, we uh, left off in verse 17. We only got halfway through the verse. And there the apostle promises us that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then he adds these words in the second half of the verse, if indeed, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, many Christians view suffering as an enemy. And without the proper perspective, you will see suffering as something that comes into your life, something that then leaves your life, and you'll say, good riddance, I wish you'd never come. Or you can see suffering the way God would have us to see it. And so this morning, God wants to renew our thinking. He wants us to have His perspective. I, I remember a time in our lives when Audrey and I just seemed to have one trial after another, and it just seemed unending. And then God ministered to us, through the words of A.W. Tozer, and he said, it is doubtful that God can use anyone greatly until he has hurt him deeply. That ministered to us because it's a biblical axiom that we're going to study this morning. Now, I know the faith teachers on the current airwaves will tell you that suffering is something to be avoided, that you can't avoid it. That's like saying uh, you can have a baby without going through the delivery process. They're deceptive and they are wrong. And so this morning, some of you I know are in the thick of suffering. You've told me. Some of you this morning have just left a great trial and some of you are getting ready to go into it. And so wherever you are this morning, this text is for you and for those that you will help and minister to. We want to begin reading in verse 16 to give us kind of a running start into the context. Follow along in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, beginning now in verse 16. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Now, if you remember the context of the passage, the apostle is speaking of our birthrights, our birthmarks that we inherit the day God saves us. We saw first that we are eternally secure. The chapter opens with the words, therefore there is now, and underscore that word now in your thinking, there is now and forever, that's the thought in the tense used, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Someone asked me recently if you could be saved more than once. No, you're born again just once. You can no longer have, no more have two physical birthdays than you can have two spiritual birthdays. People sometimes say, well, I was saved when I was younger, but I got saved again. No, no you weren't. You're saved once, and when God saves you, you're saved forever. One physical birth, one spiritual birth, never to be retracted for the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, the Bible promises. Secondly, we discovered in verses 2 through 5 that our human spirits have been made alive through God the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us. And in verse 14, last week, we learned how He can lead us daily. In addition, in verse 15, we saw that we have been legally adopted into God's family. Not only are we born again into God's family, we are adopted into God's family as adult children with all of the rights and privileges that go with that. And the reality of that adoption is realized as expressed in verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, after reading all those wonderful blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, the Christian might be inclined to think that there will be no real difficulties. And again, if you listen to many of the pastors who are on the airwaves, that's the bill of goods that they are selling the church. But just the opposite is true. And so in these verses, Paul gives us four principles that we need to take a hold of if we are going to respond properly to suffering. If we're to have a biblical theology on suffering, we need to understand these four principles that he gives us. There's a note-taking outline there in your bulletin. If you're new, the very first principle deals with the actuality of suffering. The actuality of suffering. Uh, read verse 16 again with me. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with Him. So He says if we're children, and we are, 
We're heirs and we are fellow heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a truth that needs to grip us. We are co-inheritors with Christ. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The principle share and share alike is true for the Christian. But then he subtly adds, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Now, when we use the word if in English, it often suggests possibility. If you do this, then such and such will happen. Means maybe or perhaps. But in Greek, there is a certain construction that when used, uh, this term if means absolutely certain, something that will definitely happen. And that's the construction that is used here. And it's obvious to many people, not just from experience, but as they read the Word of God. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. He didn't question his deity, the evil one. He knew he was the Son of God. And so the source, so the kind of temptation that he offered him. He's speaking here of absolute certainty. That just as we are fellow heirs with Christ and will share in his glory, even so we will share in his suffering. If indeed, in this phrase, if indeed we suffer with him, you could translate it, for sure we will suffer with him. You say, well, why doesn't he just translate it that way? Well, some of your paraphrase translations do. But they are then interpreting the phrase rather than simply translating the phrase. But God puts it here for emphasis, just like we use rhetorical questions, and as the Greek language uses rhetorical questions for emphasis, God is emphasizing the reality that we are going to suffer, that when you become a Christian, your problems are not dissolved away. And all the Scripture teaches it. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Not when, not if, but when you encounter various trials. If you're human, Young or old, saved or lost, the believer and unbeliever, you are going to suffer. But there's a balancing truth here. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. Again, if you were here last time, we studied how the Father adopts us, how the Spirit indwells us, but also how God the Son crowns us. And Jesus taught that we are going to sit on his throne someday. Let me refresh your mind with Revelation 3 and verse 21. Jesus said, He who overcomes, and in the context, every true, genuine child of God is an overcomer. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. <laughs> what a promise. Someday, if you know Christ, you are going to sit on the throne of the Lord Jesus. And if that does not bless you, your heart is either a million miles away out of fellowship with God or your mind has never been regenerated by the Spirit of God where you can absorb that truth. Now, the assumption here in verse 17 is that if you really, truly walk with Christ as fellow heirs, you're going to suffer with him. Now, it's a mind-blowing truth that we will suffer, but we will also share His glory. Now, that's the actuality of suffering. Secondly, there in your outline, I want us to also consider an axiom for suffering. You know what an axiom is? An axiom is a settled truth, a universally accepted truth. And this is a scriptural axiom that runs all the way through the Holy Scriptures. As you study the Bible, you will see verse after verse in both the Old and New Testaments that we will suffer. Yes, you will suffer with him, Paul in essence says, but you haven't seen anything yet. 
For I consider the sufferings of this present time. Notice, he's underscoring this present time, this time of suffering. We're not going to get out of this world without suffering. In fact, this chapter, before we are done, is going to speak of three groanings. When we come to verse 22, he's going to speak of how all of creation groans. In verse 23, how we groan within ourselves. And next time, when we come to verse 26, that the Spirit Himself groans. But for right now, we need to be content to study our current groaning, this groaning and this moaning that we are going to know in this life. Sufferings that come upon a fallen world, not just on the believer, but also on the unbeliever, but some suffering that comes on the believer that is unique to him that the unbeliever will never know. Now, there's some great news in this verse, because remember, there's two sides to it. I consider the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the suffering that is to be revealed. So God is saying there's absolutely no comparison between the heartaches that you know today and the future glory that is yet to come. To compare the two would be like comparing a a, a thimble of water with the Atlantic Ocean. You, You just can't even begin to do it. Now, that is an absolutely remarkable statement coming from the Apostle Paul, because if you know anything about his life, you know here was a man who suffered. Hold your finger here and turn to the right of where you are and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're new to the Bible, right after Romans comes 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul in 2 Corinthians recounts his ministry to the Corinthians, and he also reminds them of some of the heartaches and suffering that he experienced just for being a true servant of Jesus Christ. And if you know this letter, and it's one of those letters that is often ignored, I think, in the New Testament, you know that the Corinthian church had been swayed by false teachers and false apostles to go against Paul. And in this letter, the apostle gives thanksgiving for that majority that repented from that, but he also addresses directly that minority that had not. Let's pick it up uh, in verse 23. He's already spoken here in uh, verses 13 and 14 of angels of light, Satan's servants, literal fallen angels who come uh, as angels of light. And if the devil will come as an angel of light, Paul says, so won't his ministers So won't his preachers, so won't his pastors. They will look Christian, they will talk Christian, they may even quote the Bible, but they're not Christian. And he says here in verse 23, speaking of these false servants, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. And far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Now, these are some of the things that Paul experienced for being the great Christian that he was. 
for loving and obeying God. And if you read this list very carefully, you will see that suffering comes on three levels. Some of his sufferings were due to persecution. Some of his sufferings were due to the sins of others. And some of his suffering was due to the fact that he lived in a fallen world. And by the way, you will know and experience all three kinds of suffering if you truly know Christ. For instance, there's common suffering that you will know. That's the kind of suffering that you experience just by virtue of the fact that you live in a fallen creation. And there are some aspects of common suffering that all of humanity knows, saved or lost, believer or unbeliever. If you're a member of the human race, you are going to suffer. Now, this world, when God originally made it, was a perfect place, but sin entered into the world, into the universe, into the creation, such that as we studied in the fifth chapter, when Adam sinned, all of creation fell with it. Suffering and, and pain and heartache, that was not part of God's original plan. That came because of the fall of man. And if you want to see a picture of what the world was like, before man sinned, just read Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And if you want to see a picture of the, what the world is going to be like, read Revelation chapter 21. In fact, let me read a few verses to you from that portion of Scripture. John says, And I saw a whole, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's what we have to look forward to. The Bible, unlike that popular book, does not teach that your best life is now. Your best life is still out there in the future. It is yet to come. Now, in a moment, when we come to Romans 8 and verse 20, Paul is going to remind us of this fallen creation. And again, because of it, the Christian and the non-Christian alike are going to suffer. And if you live long enough, you will suffer. And there's, I'm sure, not a person in this room who has not suffered, whether it's an infant from an ear infection or an elderly person suffering even as they sit there from their arthritis. So there's what we call common suffering. And I didn't say natural suffering because it's not natural for man to suffer. It is unnatural. Suffering is not natural. It is due to a spiritual problem. It's caused by the fall. We say, well, he died a natural death. No, he didn't. He died an unnatural death. Death is an enemy. God never intended for man to die. And even the Apostle Paul here in this text of 2 Corinthians 11 describes common suffering that he knew. He speaks in verse 26 of dangers in the wilderness and dangers on the sea. In verse 27, he highlights hunger and thirst, cold and exposure. Christians and non-Christians alike get cancer. They suffer from heart attacks. They endure tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis. It's all part of living in a fallen world. But in addition to common suffering... The Bible also describes what we would call carnal suffering. And unfortunately, many of the difficulties that we know in this life, we bring upon ourselves for the simple fact that we refuse to obey God. And even Christians can know carnal suffering. And it's that suffering that comes because of our own sin or someone else's sin. Let me share a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 4. 
There the apostle Peter said, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. You say, is it possible for a believer to suffer as a murderer? Yes, it's possible. There have been Christians, real Christians, who have destroyed their testimony because in a fit of rage, and a fit of anger, they took an innocent life. I don't think it's common of a believer, but the Bible affirms in this verse that it is possible. King David, a man after God's own heart, committed murder. He didn't suffer at the hand of the law because he was the law, but he paid a great price. He experienced great consequence for his sin. Well, how about as a thief or as an evildoer? I came to be the pastor of this church 23 years ago today. And in my first month, I dealt with a person who came into my office who confessed to me that she had robbed a bank. And I said, well, we need to go to the authorities. And you need to confess it and come clean. And indeed, she did. Some Christians have suffered as thieves. They've stolen from their employer and they've wrecked their testimony. Some have lost their jobs because of it. Some have reached a point where they can seemingly never be trusted again, and some have had to face the law. And then he describes, notice, make sure that none of you suffers as a troublesome meddler. That's a very interesting Greek word translated troublesome meddler. It's the only place in all of Greek literature in and outside of the Bible that you will find it. I suspect that the Apostle Peter, like we often do as preachers, coined that word and made it up himself. Uh, We have a tendency to do that to make our points sometimes. Well, it's an interesting word because within that word, it's a compound word, is the word overseer or bishop. In fact, if you have the New American Standard and you were to look in the margin for the literal rendering, it says, one who oversees other affairs. One who oversees others' affairs. And so the King James rightly translates it, a busybody. Maybe you've never suffered as a murderer or as a thief, but you've suffered as a busybody. And there are a great many Christians who do a lot of harm due to misguided criticism as busybodies. They stick their nose in someone's business where their nose doesn't belong because they are neither a part of the problem nor a part of the solution. I get a lot of phone calls sometimes from pastors because of our broadcast on the East Coast. And I spoke not long ago with a young pastor and he said, Pastor, I'm going through such heartache in my church. And I'm dealing with such severe issues. And he said, if the people just knew the full story, they wouldn't be throwing me under the bus. I said, sometimes as pastors, you can't tell the full story. And you will be thrown under the bus. But sometimes there are people who who create these problems. They are busybodies. And so our suffering can come in many ways. Sometimes our own sin reproves us, the Scripture says. Sometimes the government disciplines us because we've broken the law. And sometimes carnal suffering comes because of someone else's sin. A drunk driver leaves his lane and crosses over and maims an innocent person or maybe takes someone else's life. Even Paul suffered because of the sins of others. He describes here in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 26 of robbers who stole from him on his missionary journeys. 
You can get hit by a drunk driver. You can get mugged by a thief, just like an unsaved man can. And some of you have experienced the pain of a broken home because your spouse committed adultery on you. And some of you were unfaithful to your spouse, and you've created huge heartache and problems in your own life. Many times the bitter fruit we eat comes from the seeds we planted. The rotten water we drink comes from the very wells that we've dug. So Christians are not exempt from common suffering, and they're not exempt from carnal suffering that comes either from our own sin or from the sins of other people. But there's a third kind of suffering the Bible highlights, and it's what we call Christian suffering, and that's unique to us, and it's an expression of persecution. And so Peter will also say, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Again, speaking to God's people, he says, if you are reviled or insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, here it is, Christian suffering. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in this name. He's talking about suffering as a believer, what Jesus referred to in the gospels as bearing your own cross. Bearing your own cross has nothing to do with arthritis or a headache or a migraine or not even the man you're married to. Now, ladies, he may be cross, but that's not what the Bible means. Jesus is speaking of persecution, living for him. Blessed are you when men insult you, not if, but when they insult you. Why? Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Blessed are you when men insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus said it would happen, and it can take many forms. Sometimes it means you will be unpopular. You're a party animal, and you get saved, and now your friends don't understand why you don't want to go out and drink with them. Sometimes it means sacrifice, having to choose the straight and narrow. Sometimes there will be verbal abuse. Sometimes you'll be passed over a job for promotion. Not because you've done your work with anything less than excellence, but because you are a believer. Sometimes it will mean strife from your parents or your own family members because you know Christ and they do not. Sometimes it can mean even physical persecution. But please understand, if you are going to be a fellow heir with Christ, you're going to suffer with him. And again, 2 Corinthians 11 describes not just common suffering or carnal suffering, but also Christian suffering. Notice in verse 23, he speaks of imprisonments. He speaks about being beaten times without number. Notice verse 24, he testifies of having five times received from the Jews, 39 lashes. And verse 25, on three occasions as, as having been beaten with rods and another time as being stoned with rocks. In verse 26, he speaks not only of common dangers, but the dangers that can come from persecution. The world is antagonistic to the Christian, and as such, we can expect our own share of persecution. Next week, we'll further examine the concept of Christian suffering as part of our study in Romans chapter 8. If you'd like to hear this message in its entirety, be sure to download the Search the Scriptures app with Dr. Carl Brogy. You can find it at the iTunes Store or Google Play Store. And when you do download it, search for Suffering as a Christian. 
You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or call us at 877-787-7478. We hope this radio program is helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our study of Christian suffering. Join us then as we search the scriptures.